howdy. How's it going? Welcome to Hangry and Horny. This is Tony Flo Real. This show is sponsored by DroppingEpBomb.com. I have amazing, lovely friends in Flagstaff, Arizona that started this company. And they started out of their kitchen three years ago. And now they're nationwide on Amazon and vitamin shops. I believe they're going to be in GNC and soon Whole Foods. So check out dropanfbomb.com if you're interested in making delicious food with nut butters. These guys, Ross and Kara Taylor, they decided that they wanted to go keto. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to find healthy fats on the go, especially when you're eating out at restaurants. So they decide to make their own nut butter packets that they can take and use anytime they want to get more fats in their diet. Healthy healthy fats that make you feel smart. So on their website, if you use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L You'll get 20% off of your first order of macadamia-based nut butters. They have ones with sea salt, pecan, salted chocolate, one of my favorites. And they have one with coconut oil. They also have premium oils that you can use for your salads. Like avocado oil, olive oil... And even MCT oil for those that want to put in their smoothies or make a fat coffee. So go to fatbomb.com or dropanfbomb.com and use that promo code FLOWREAL. My next guest is an incredible human being. He is a combat veteran who has seen frontline battle in the toughest, most notorious battles in history in both Ramadi and Fallujah and he's a Navy corpsman and what that means is that he's an actual battlefield medic he's the guy that's saving these soldiers lives on the line in the field on the battlefield he's basically the doctor you know assisting those that are been injured or badly hurt. So he's been there for the Marines and his name is Nathan Radabaugh. And I met Nathan a I guess just under a year ago at one of my Magic Flow Bus events. And he's just been incredible in terms of, you know, just a kind human being. He talks openly about his healing and what he's done to help alleviate and heal from his PTSD symptoms, which he's currently still healing from. And he just shares openly about his journey and his story and, you know, what's it been like to transition back into civilian world. So without further ado, please give it up to the incredible and awesome Nathan Radaba. Peace.
Nathan Radabar, what's happening? Welcome to Hangry and Horny. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time, taking me through the Redwood Forest here. And uh, where are we, actually? Well, this is uh, called Pomo Canyon Campgrounds. This is out near Jenner on the coast here in Northern California. And the campground shut down right now. But I found about this a few weeks ago, stumbled it here, and pretty magical having this place to ourselves yeah you like actually camped out with a friend that's right yeah i camped out with a friend here and uh went hiking and uh microdosed on some lsd so it's a really good time here for sure <laughs> <laughs> nice man yeah. you actually found this little like hut that was put together very neat yeah absolutely no it's really cool crawling inside and there's an, even a back exit door on there someone put some work into that yeah we actually sat in there for a little bit and just yeah. kind of like soaked it in <laughs> absolutely it cool very cool so your background um you came out of the midwest what what part of uh which part of the states were yeah you? absolutely I came from wichita kansas that's what i was born and raised all right, man. Yeah. Wizard of Oz stuff. Huh? Absolutely. Dorothy yeah. and click Dorothy. your heels. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, um, you know, you have a lot uh, in your background in regards to, you know, being in the military. Um, what were you doing like before that? How did you get into the military? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, growing up in Wichita, Kansas, uh, definitely conservative life. Um, I was, grew up very religious. Um, I wanted to get out and explore the world. And so when I was in my senior year of high school, I heard about how the Navy will pay for your school and you get to travel. And that sounded like a lot of fun to me. I've always had a desire of living in another country and experiencing other cultures. And I thought the Navy would be a perfect way to do that. And so right after I graduated high school in 2003, I joined the Navy and took off. And were you the first person in your family to join the military? Per first person since my grandfather. Okay. Actually. So my grandfather was uh, Korea War, Korean War era. And I was the first person since him to join the military. Got it. Yeah. So once you joined, what was going on? Like, how did you get to the place where you became a, a, a Navy corpsman? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I joined initially uh, as a Navy, uh, signed up as a Navy corpsman, I was told that I'm going to be on the Navy ships and working in Navy hospitals and floating around the world. So you knew exactly what you wanted to sign up for? They like, did, yeah. Okay. So I, I picked that job before I went. Um, I threw a few recommendations. It sounded like a lot of fun, um, you know, being an EMT, essentially, is the way I was described to me prior um quickly realized when i uh, went to boot camp and corman school that wasn't necessarily the full picture come to find out marine corps department of the navy and all of their medical support is actually navy corpsman and so after my first navy schooling they sent me to the marine corps base to do my field medical service school and this is where i learned how to do combat medicine and so this is a big segue from hospital medicine, from nursing, and now they're teaching me how to wear a Marine uniform, teaching me how to shoot a gun, and getting me ready to join a Marine unit. And actually be in combat. That's right, absolutely. Um, I changed my orders while I was there and volunteered to go with the Marines at that time. Um, during this time frame, it was at the height of the war. Um, Which one? This, the Iraq war was okay. going on. Both Iraq and Afghanistan war were going on. Um, the second time around, not the Gulf War. The correct, first, yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is like the one after 9-11. That's right, yeah. And uh, so I decided to change my orders and, and go support them. And then after uh, my plans were after the Marines, and I could go travel around the world with the Navy. And so my orders got changed, and I got assigned to a Marine Infantry Unit. It was 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines out of Campus Jew, North Carolina. Wow, man. So you, got, you go through the training to be a combat 
medic mm-hmm. and soldier. Yeah, absolutely. And then when were you first deployed? I was first deployed during 2005. Okay. So I quickly was assigned to a Marine Corps infantry unit, like I was saying, and we deployed. Uh, we went on two seven-month-long tours while I was with the Marines. Uh, first deployment was outside of Fallujah, where the main the main unit was based out of Camp Fallujah, and then all the platoon, all the companies had different locations. Um, this was right after the Fallujah Offensive. That's a real famous Fallujah War, and we came to secure for the elections our unit. On our second appointment, we came during, for the Battle of Ramadi. Okay, so Ramadi is like close to yeah. Uh, so this is all in the Al Anbar province of Iraq. Okay, and during that time. We had there was freedom fighters coming in from other countries. The insurgency was high. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of uh, combat happening. Yeah. So you're like in two like hotbeds, like back to back. That's right. Holy shit, dude! Yeah, Yeah, it was intense time. Yeah, absolutely. Even on my first deployment, a month into it, I was involved in an IED explosion that injured me, but not enough to go home. It definitely banged me up enough where they put, you know, had me, you know, stay calm, sit at my battalion aid station for a while, and then rejoin my Marine unit. How long did that take to recover? Honestly, I was only had about a week off. And then I was on limited duty, which is in the middle of combat is a little bit hard to limit your duty, which involved more radio watches for me then. And, um, but I stayed with my Marine unit. They were still in combat operations and I was their medical support. And it was really important for me to get back and be there next to them. Yeah. So even though you had like what concussion symptoms and you didn't actually have any body parts blown, did you get like shrapnel or no, no shrapnel. So I was lucky there. I didn't have anything like that. Um, the vehicle that I was in is they call it a seven ton. Um, they had big IED underneath the road from artillery rounds. And these uh, caused the vehicle to flip and roll. Okay. To do a barrel roll into the ditch. I had a vehicle rolled on top of me during this process and pushed me down. So I got a torn groin muscle. My leg was pulled up. It was banged up. Yeah. Obviously, you're still intact. Yes. You're lucky. Very much so. I've had some definitely um, mobility issues that I've used yoga to work through and, um, and also some body work as well. Uh, to get to a point where I don't have any issues anymore, but I have definitely had some mobility issues that have caused things like uh, shin splints, and I've had other issues before that I've learned how to correct. And you were able to restore it to pretty much full functionality. Very blessed. Wow. I'm very blessed to have my health. Um, I am just blown away that I... Maybe... blown away i'm amazed i'm amazed and blessed yeah amazing literally how i was able to come home and walk away from that um we did lose one marine during that ied explosion and others were hurt and injured much worse than i was i was the one that was rendering aid to them um and it was a i was 19 years old when Mm -hmm. this happened yeah real young and what was the recovery like i mean they they put you on some kind of uh hiatus to to recover but it was only like a week later that you rejoined that's right your group yep so ibuprofen okay and so what what was the feeling like during the impact the, the sound the absolutely I mean, it rolled over it actually like fell on you that the, the, the vehicle so this is a, a vehicle that's very large these tires are four feet in diameter they're giant tires on these trucks and when it rolled on when the id detonated it happened so fast that all of a sudden my ears are ringing and there was black smoke everywhere. And I remember hearing the tires screeching as the vehicle was losing control and going into the ditch. There's definitely a thought in my head, we just got hit and this is going to hurt. 
and the vehicle rolled. I stayed with the vehicle and it rolled on top of me, smashed me down in the mud. I felt a truck's weight on top of me, pushing the air out of my lungs. I, the thought crossed my mind that this was it, that I was done. And then the truck kept rolling and rolled off of me. Oh shit! So it rolled like I mean, it, it was quick. It barrel rolled, but I—it's an open. So the, you were the, on the top of it. Yeah. So the way it is, you have this front, um, the front cab, and this is all armored. But you, behind it, you have these long bench seats where Marines sit on these bench seats, facing outwards. Oh, I, I could see what those trucks Absolutely. look like. Yeah. And so when this thing flipped and rolled, and most people got ejected, there was uh, 17 casualties during the situation. Uh, yeah, one Marine died, and um, it was. It was a really wild time. Seventeen casualties. Yeah, so there absolutely. were other there was people a mixture. Absolutely, track. Marines had uh, there was a shattered scapula. We had Marines and members saying they couldn't feel their legs, and there was this uh, crying and all kinds of emotions were going on during that time frame. A lot of fear. Okay. Um, thank thank goodness we weren't ambushed. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you next. Is like you know usually there's a follow up attack from there. Yeah, we were really lucky that we didn't. Wow. And we were able to medevac all the Marines, and myself included. I was part of the medevac. Okay, and so, so as, the helicopter flew in? No, right? not at all. It's actually in a another armored vehicle, and this kind of got tank tracks on it. It's fully enclosed. And this is what we medevac back in. Okay. And then once we got to the surgical unit, um, door came down, all medical teams there, and started directing, this guy needs first, second, third, and then I need help. Okay. And so what was uh, attended to you on yourself? Yeah. So this is, like I said, more contusion. So I went through some x-ray processes. Um, I was on crutches. I wasn't able to walk. Um, I was coming down off adrenaline high that night. I remember vomiting because of the adrenaline. And um, they put me on that night. It was I was on morphine and other drugs. I'm not for sure what it was, but I do remember being extremely high and not very coherent. And then it was uh, the next day where I had to, the worst news, the worst thing they told me is when I had to call my mother. And at first I said, there's no way I'm calling my mother and letting her know this happened. Like, this will destroy her. And they said, you know, it's, it's military protocol that somebody's going to be calling your mother. You should be the first person to do it so she doesn't get any more scared. Mm. And I hadn't talked to my mother in weeks. You know, it was the first part of the deployment. We um, were getting involved in the operations, but I didn't get a, a lot of opportunities to call home yet. So calling her, she was so excited. Oh, my God, how are you doing? Mm. And this is like your first ever deployment. Like, first ever deployment. Like weeks in. That's right. Just a month into a seven-month-long tour, and I'm already hurt. Wow. So this is really setting the stage. I'm like, okay, combat's really real. I could hear my mom's heart just hit the ground when I told her the news that I was injured going to be okay and i'm not in i have all my arms and legs i'm going to have full recovery of course that's not good enough news for my mom she wanted me to come home yeah and you're pretty lucid i was very lucid yeah this is the next day i was very lucid and i was able to just explain to my mom what was going on um what happened and why i can't come home and yeah so i finished that deployment up and we definitely um i had through that deployment treated uh, casualties, both American and Iraqi casualties from the war, um, in the combat zones, like like right zones. in the actual areas That's of right. fighting. That's right, areas of fighting. Uh, Marines getting blown up in IEDs, um, shot at. You're shooting right. back yourself. 
Yeah. So, and, and you you were saying earlier that you haven't killed anybody as far as you know. Right. Yeah. And so the, so my first deployment, um, was, it was intense. Um, on my on our second tour to Iraq, it was much more intense. As we're getting briefed in Ramadi about what the, how the other unit became almost combat ineffective because of how many casualties they received, and talking about Corman dying was in the even more a deeper reality set in whereas like on my first deployment was already intense and got blown up but now i'm in a combat zone it's much more intense much more combat and i i remember sitting in my bunk at night after this briefing having my first ever panic attack um i was married uh, i got married between my two deployments and so now i had something to lose and that scared the the shit out of me and I remember having a hyperventilating and then getting myself to get under control was anybody around you when you're everybody sleeping? was sleeping okay and wow. so I just stayed with my breath got on got my physiology under control stuffed that fear down and deep and press forward for the deployment and this is like the like famous Ramadi that's right. Battle that we were talking about with That's right. uh, Jocko. That's right. Same, same battle, same time frame when he was deployed. Um, his unit was deployed the same time that 3-8, my unit was deployed. And we've seen interactions. They've come to our forward, op- forward bases. and The uh, Navy so SEALs. The Navy SEALs did, yeah, absolutely. Came in there with their high-speed gear and really cool guns. And they brought us uh, chips and cookies. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Marines are definitely uh, the type of people that can do more with less and like to tough it up being tough and so they didn't like to give us a lot of uh niceties and so it was really wonderful having the navy seals come out and bring us some cookies and chips from theirs because navy seals notoriously have amazing funding and have amazing food and so they shared some of that with us and so that's just more because they're uh they've been screened they're much more skilled they're part of the special operations command so they have funding that's practically unlimited in comparison and so they just have a different way of operating than the infantry much different way of operating yeah because yeah, i remember uh, andrew mara which was our special uh guest on the show uh in the earlier parts of hangry and horny uh, being part of the green beret army branch of special mm-hmm. forces and you know it was saying that they had as much with whatever they needed to get you know they had the purchasing power to to buy all the equipment Mm -hmm. so like but my question is like how come they get special treatment versus the rest of the military because they're special forces yeah i mean (laughs) obviously the title so i mean because they've been screened and they have they're they're elite they're the elite they're um what people say the best of the best there's a really um strict obviously screening process everybody knows as we may have seen documentaries with the navy seals or the green berets and they have an even more intensive training and they hold a different mission yeah and so i believe that's part of the combination of different they just have a different mission and a different purpose for the military and um they treat them well because of it yeah, a little bit opposite of the Marine Corps infantry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back to uh, that actual battle. Mm-hmm. Um, second time, it was even more intense. That's right. And you have like a you know panic attack before going into it. Mm-hmm. And so you know what 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 made it more intense than the first time because there was more like like actual fighting. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It was just more gunfighting. Um, so. It was just and more I, almost daily, more casualties, um, more gunfighting. We had over 100 casualties in total. Um, 
during that deployment. Well, I believe he had 17 casualties, 17 deaths, I want to say. And so it, it, a lot more people died. A lot more people got injured than our first deployment. And you're, you're seeing this like firsthand, obviously, right. like just the volume of it was right. Everything up, from freedom fighters, snipers, um, rockets, everything. Yeah. And we were also mentioning earlier about like the role of like a chaplain and, you know, sort of religious or the sectarian side mm-hmm. of things. And, you know, at this point you were saying like, I'll take whatever I can get to, to live, yeah, including absolutely. prayer. Yes. You know, you grew up in a, a religious like upbringing. That's right. Um, were you at that time in high school, like rebelling against it or still always been no. a part of your foundation? Been a part of my foundation. I um, gravitated heavily towards uh, the Christian church, towards the youth group, um, an amazing community outreach, amazing community created within youth. And, and it was something that I was really attracted to. Um, when I joined the military, I definitely began distancing myself from religion. You know, I think it was because I started the party. I started to hang out with rough and tough crowd. And I think a lot of the shame, I started to distance myself from a lot of the religion. Um, though on deployment, um, I prayed, um, any help. I wasn't going to push that away when I was on deployment. I definitely prayed and had a Bible with me and it definitely brought comfort and brought strength for me when I was deployed. So you get like these occasional visits from the chaplain who come on the convoy. The chaplain was always the um, breath of fresh air coming in. He was the one coming in, checking on everyone's morale, everyone's mood, spiritual counseling, psychological counseling. They were there for, uh, the chaplains were there for support and they're also Navy chaplains. So, you know, you had a little bit of Navy mixed in with the Marines on deployment. That's amazing. And also you have uh, the reporters, you see this in war movies yep. all the time. So yep. what, what was their role in like, in their sure. title? Yeah. So they had the combat camera and the combat camera, they would come and document um, combat. And so that was their job. And they did this for the military. And so they, uh, from time to time, were embedded with our unit. So when we go on combat patrols, you would have this combat camera with us. And this is the, the military's version of it. And also we had CNN and other news agencies embedded with us as well. So you had them coming out and going on patrols with cameras, documenting the action on the front lines. Wow, man. So back in the days, they didn't really have a camera. They were actually doing this by hand. Right? Doing everything. Oh, back in the day, yeah, like, absolutely. Right? <laughs> like World War II. One as you like can remember the infamous day. picture of, Iwo Jima and the combat camera up there on the hill taking the uh, the flag raising with the Marine yeah, unit so and there was a Navy corpsman in that flag raising as well so there's oh, always just been this rich history of Navy corpsman alongside the Marines. Documentation right. wow so not only just for historical purposes but for like evidence in regards to if this ever had to like appear in like martial court or something like that that. definitely could be the case if it's there um more so it seemed like a more documentation um didn't inquire too heavily what it's about but it was always interesting to see the footage after a firefight and to have the combat camera showing us with their night vision cameras what they recorded and so there's definitely some amazing playbacks that And, and also what about like the psychology of you know your own perspective and whether it matched the evidence of the footage was there always was there ever like a mismatch like you played in your mind like you saw something kind of like similar to eyewitness techno- uh, testimony mm-hmm. it just gets skewed right oh absolutely we've definitely had um what's they call it red tape that you have to go through where you have moments of combat and a and a, and a 
when we have action, sometimes there's investigations open up if there's any wrongdoing or if a civilian got injured, they want to investigate and find out if it was a just cause, if this was something that could have been avoided. And so they use these as like training tools. They also do this sometimes to, um, to persecute the Marines that did something out that they shouldn't have done. And so there's definitely this a sense of accountability as well with the, with the military. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, and I really appreciate you being very open, um, you know, because it's, it's one of those things as a civilian and, but also like, you know, growing up with a grandfather that was served in both World War II and the Korean War, um, it was something that was a bit taboo. So the fact that like we can go deep into these uh, discussions, you know, I really appreciate that. And <laughs> And, um, you know, it just helps me to be able to, like, answer questions that I'm sure, like, everybody else has because a lot of people are making, like, projections or uh, assumptions about, you know, what it's like to be in it. But to actually hear, like, a first-hand account of what's going on and the emotions involved, like, you know, even, like, the physiology. Like, so when you're going through um, all these battles... Like, how is it that you're able to, like, keep yourself together, especially, like, the first deployment where, like, right off the bat, like, you get blasted and mm-hmm. you have to recover and then you have to keep going? There's a tool that um, I hear Jocko Willing talk a lot about on his podcast is the ability to disassociate. So you have to remove yourself from the uh, your emotional body and disconnect to be able to have more of a broader perspective of what's going on. And so definitely on my deployment, I was able to not get too mixed up with what's going on. I understood this was this and I'm over here. And so there was also to the culture of people weren't talking about emotions and feelings. You know, anger was one of the common feelings, definitely happiness uh, from time to time. Everyone likes to joke and, and bring uh, some positivity in a really shitty situation. Um, yeah. So the ability to just kind of uh, get the job done you know, uh, I mean, was there any place for like counseling or uh, the ability to like kind of step back and like kind of have a, a reprieve or it was just like keep going? Like, just keep going. Yeah. Definitely it was a make or break kind of situation. I've seen uh, people that were in the military who broke, who emotionally couldn't handle it. Um, and everybody has a breaking point. Yeah. And um, so I definitely witnessed that firsthand. Um, it was one of those that I, I, I believe I gained a lot of strength and power from those I was surrounded with. I was surrounded by the tip of the spear, Marine Corps Infantry, and our unit, 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines, was a badass unit. And I had amazing Marines that protected my ass. Um, see, the Marines look at Navy corpsmen, and they call them Doc. Everyone's Doc. They almost don't even know your name, but it's Doc. And we're the guys that are going to pull them out of fire when they're hurt. We're the guys that are going to patch them up when they get injured. And so they definitely take care of us. And they want to, and for me, they would almost want to put you in between all them and the enemy. Yeah. I mean, sorry, put you behind, sorry, put me behind them and themselves in between the enemy. Yeah. Cause so well, they're almost like our protectors as well. Right. Because while you're like there saving them, you're still getting shot at. That's right. right. Yeah, like, absolutely. So, you know, when no one's hurt, I'm essentially playing the role as a Marine, as a combat. You know, I have a rifle and, and the way that even though when we deployed, it was deployed as a non-combatant, um, but I also looked at it as preventative medicine. Um, if someone's shooting at us, um, I'm going to shoot back. And, um, 
I wasn't going to stand by, but the minute somebody gets hurt, my role completely changes, and I go right into the doc role, and then so I'm there to patch them up. And then you had the guys backing you up that's right. from so, there. That's right, and they're all my security, and they're there as I'm protecting the Marine, getting them patched up, and we'll get them medevac out of there. So that was my role, to be there on the front line. So, And it was not only just not only just gunshot wounds, IED explosions, but anything from, you know, basic counseling and, and conversations so that, you know, I would definitely get interactions with Marines coming to me, telling me what's going on with them and how they're feeling just a little bit. Um, but definitely the culture was not, like I said, wasn't a very emotional culture. It was definitely a hardened warrior culture. And so that comes out, like spills out after the fact when you're like back home, mm. um, what's, what's going on, you know, when you come back home from deployment, uh, is there something that like triggers? Cause there's all these talks about, uh, PTSD or some people don't even call it a disorder. It's just more like a symptom. Um, there's definitely, so one, my physiology was definitely, um, hijacked a little bit. And so I was sensitive to even a car backfiring as people would say, uh, someone opening up a, a can of Coca-Cola and it makes that loud pop noise. And you can laugh when you see people in combat jumping down. Um, and that lasted for a little while um, afterwards. And when I, I took a orders to road to Spain afterwards, and I did this intentionally, I knew that if I were to transition back to being a civilian right after combat, that I would have a really hard time integrating back in because being surrounded by infantry Marines, it's a very different culture than, than typical uh, civilization. <laughs> and uh, so I was, looked at Spain, three, years or, three, or, three year orders in Spain as an opportunity for me to have some fun, unwind and enjoy life a little bit before I got out. Yeah, and then go back to the regular, you know, real world. The real world, yeah. Um, so at a certain point you were talking about you know, the emotion of like actually like defensively like killing somebody, mm. you know, because like there was a part of your psyche that was sort of looking forward to that aspect of combat where you had to justify self-defense to shoot back at somebody shooting at you and actually like killing another human being. Absolutely. I think internally I almost thought of war as a rites of passage. You know, so many of our, my grandfathers being in war and, and hearing about all these stories, I think there's part of this warrior ethos that I was really wanting to be part of. And, and like I was telling you before the podcast, I was a non-combatant. And so there's definitely a part of me that was vocal about, I would be happy if I didn't have to shoot my rifle and everybody came home. That being said, being in the middle of combat, there was also another part of me that wanted a piece of the action. And I wanted to experience all aspects of war, good and bad. And um, so I definitely shot my rifle. I didn't personally, uh, from my knowledge, kill anybody. And uh, I definitely wasn't going out of my way to find those opportunities. I, I definitely stayed in my role as a, as a Navy corpsman. Right. And so, you know, when you hear about uh, PTSD symptoms, um, you know, what were like some of the ones that you experienced, like whether you're in Spain and mm -hmm. how long did it take you to get to a place where you um, felt fairly integrated again? Okay, good question. Yeah, so definitely in Spain, um, it would come out anger, outburst, emotional outburst. Um, however, I was still in the... Um, the context of the military. So the military provided my ethos, provided my food, my water, how to live life. It's when I got out of the military is when I really started to struggle. And so about a year after getting out is when, you know, I didn't have a sense of purpose when I got out. 
And I didn't know how to process emotions that I had been stuffing deep, deep down inside. They started to come to the surface. And so this, this, this kind of, um, you know, these repressed feelings was something that I struggled with dealing with um, for a while and was having panic attacks and wasn't able to cope. And I, I dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts have crossed my mind. Now, I didn't get to a point where I ever went to that level of wanting to kill myself. However, the feelings of hopelessness and despair were there. Um, and it took... <sighs> years of when I finally realized the place how bad of a place I was in we call it like rock bottom when I realized how emotionally dead I was inside and not connected to all the beautiful things in life it really triggered me on a journey to peel back the layers of this onion that I felt like and this is like the metaphor that I used but it was this process of getting out of my own way and peeling back these layers of trauma and getting them out of the way and now mind you it wasn't just from the military um, and from combat, see, I find that combat exacerbated a lot of my weaknesses that I had before coming in. So whether it's childhood wounds or mother-father issues, these type of things I found for myself were exacerbated through combat. And so as I've been on this journey, really uh, uncovering the trauma, getting to the root of it and finding the gold at the bottom has been what's kind of given me the power now to even have these kind of conversations where before I might have avoided the conversation or going there, I might have spiraled down emotionally and gone to a period of depression. Or been defensive. Been or, defensive, fight right. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Trying to avoid versus, you know, going into going it. Going into it yeah. and, uh, yeah, clearing it out and, you know, coming out the other side, like, yeah. more complete, more whole. That's right. Yeah. And you also had mentioned that, you know, just as hard was combat was finding out that your wife at the time cheated on you and yeah. you said that that was actually worse than going through combat in some yeah. ways. Yeah, absolutely. I was vulnerable. I loved the woman very much. And, um, that betrayal, it, it, it really tore me open and I had to go, I went through a period of, I definitely had a lot of hate towards women and a lot of anger issues around it. Um, and that was something when I began working with um, ayahuasca is when I really started to uncover a lot of what was going on in terms of these issues around women. And, and I began to understand the value of what women bring into society. And like as we we're saying on the walk-in, women make the world go around. Yeah, exactly. And, and so as you're going through this healing process, what were some of the things that kind of uh, brought you to that area? Like, did you like right off the bat just think like, oh, I'm having these issues. Um, I need to go go explore these areas, or did somebody show up, or a book, or like how did you know to get into a place where you can start to heal, and then eventually start using uh, plant medicines and psychedelics as a tool to help you become whole and complete. Well, when I was living in Spain, I it was when I first had my first taste at yoga, first taste at meditation. So I'd say there's a p part of me that definitely began to gravitate that way. And you say maybe higher self, but definitely I was being guided in the direction and be started becoming friends with people who are not only Spanish locals, but friends who mine are yoga teachers, meditation teachers, and definitely more on the um, more liberal side of things, if you will. And so I found myself become more gravitated towards those things. Um, when I smoked weed for my first time in Spain... That was an experience that completely cracked open my head in a way that I realized 
prior beliefs that I held were wrong. And I began this journey of inquiry and questioning where I started to really look at myself in a different way and question a lot of the beliefs that I held. And I would say that was honestly one of the major catalysts for me to get out of the military and for me to live life. So you had the option to keep keep on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could have re-enlisted and I could have stayed in. Um, they told me doing so, they're going to send me back with the Marines, which I would have ended up in Afghanistan. And I, after two two tours... I was done. I didn't. I didn't want to go back anymore. I yeah. watched too many people. The more, the more times you deploy, the worse your chances are of coming home. Right. And this also flew in the face of joining the Navy and traveling the world and seeing <laughs> other places. Yeah, it was like, no, I'm gonna throw you right back in the yeah. fire shit sport, ship storm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I knew then that I wanted to go to school. I had this huge passion around the way that cannabis allowed me to feel and see things a little bit differently and so I started when I was going to school part-time in the Navy I was getting my associate's degree finished so I could transfer out as a as a junior to go to the university I began to do a lot of research on cannabis legalization on uh, the medicinal aspects of cannabis and that's what drew me to go to California for school honestly okay. was was cannabis was a major aspect yeah, in just California uh, Colorado the whole western side of the states is was you know uh, groundbreaking like leading this uh, in terms of legalization of, of cannabis as a medicine and that's then right. recreational um, so cannabis also like reacquainted you back to nature. In That's some absolutely sense? not nature with myself with spirituality, and it gave me a different outlook on life. And I would definitely say it was the gateway drug for me to um, begin to explore other um, consciousness expanding substances. So um, not only things like psychedelic mushrooms or LSD, and so that really opened my eyes to really kind of dig into myself. And um, when I went to, I moved to Chico, California to go to school because I heard Chico was the place to be. You could party, good weed, pretty girls. So it was enough motivation at the time for me to go out to Chico. And so uh, moving out there is definitely, I had my mind even opened even more being around a culture that is not conservative Republican Christians like I grew up and being in the military there's a lot of conservative Republican views and so then moving out here to California there was the complete opposite spectrum of yeah, things the out hippies, here the hippies and love yeah, <laughs> absolutely and it was a really amazing uh, transition for me to kind of change my environment in a way that I was going to able to open up more and definitely um, when I uh, had my first experience with LSD is when I honestly understood where I could be going and where I was at the time. And I saw what was holding me back and I wanted to work towards uh, really uncovering uh, my own potential. Right. So yeah, there's so many like directions we can go on this for <laughs> sure. Um, so you're at Chico, you have this whole other contrast of experiences and like at what point of your healing now is is like arising how much have you healed uh how much further uh you had to go to this point where we are right now absolutely so you know many things along the way i was saying everybody everything i could find that would potentially um benefit me i would was absorbing i definitely have been in this state and i still am of finding things that allow me to feel more whole and i bring more of those in my life so definitely different types of psychedelic journeys men's work was really um 
profound experience for me to be able to find a community, a brotherhood again, where I'm able to process a lot of what's going on inside, these emotions, these feelings, and have accountability. So there's that tribe that a lot of uh, veteran soldiers that come back miss that uh, camaraderie That's with right. their, their crew, their, their uh, platoon group. And so you're able to reestablish that community of uh, brotherhood. That's right. And then um, other what other type of uh, tools came yeah, into absolutely. your life besides um, that in psychedelics? One of the too. biggest uh, physiological shifts I felt was when I began uh, Reiki and breathwork therapy in Berkeley um, with Dr. Mia. She has a health center called Breathe and was my first intro into breath work and understanding how powerful it was and having these amazing cathartic experiences where I remember feeling associated being in my childhood room throwing a temper tantrum and there I am in this set having these experiences and they're um, literally just releasing so you had like a time regression oh absolutely yeah during the breath work where in my own imagination I'm see during Reiki and breath work therapy they lead you through um, a guide to breath work and this triggers a lot of cathartic release. So depending on what you have repressed is what was going to come up. And so uh, under their thought process is like these, this sadness or this anger needs to be experienced to be able to let it go. And so these were these moments where complete vulnerability and crying and crying for long periods of time and sadness and anger, anger would turn into sadness. And so there's a lot of this releasing it happened. And I felt the world started to show up in a lot different way as well. It was really interesting is as I started to heal uh, trauma, I began to uh, see more of the beautiful things that was going on. And honestly, through a lot of these different therapies, whether it's men's work, whether it's breathwork therapy, um, community, it's allowed me to get to a place where I feel safe and secure in myself to be able to talk about this. I like I said, you know, I've only been recently, I feel like able to dive in and be real with myself. And, and it took me diving into my shadows and understanding my dark side even more. And I definitely, that's allowed me to kind of hold the light in the same way. It's like I went on this journey of healing and for a while it was all about the light, bring more light, bring more light, bring more light. And I found that also created an imbalance that it's just as important to really dig into the shadows and that way you kind of brings contrast to the light. And it's like not it's not a good or a bad thing, the darkness. The darkness is what it is. Yeah, in the sense of once you're like more integrated, there's a sense of being more full, mm-hmm. whole in one, complete. And so, um, like you were saying before, like as much as a lot of these tools are uh, amazing, they, they have their way of, uh, of their language of communicating, whether it's talking about like chakras or, um, you know, but if you could just like gleam the uh, gold nuggets out of all these methods, because even some of these methods can get perverted, become uh, into a cult kind of thing. Mm-hmm. People start drinking like urine, you know, we were joking about <laughs> earlier, it's like, you know, maybe there is some medical benefits that still needs to be researched on this, but you know, there we still have like a sense of like maybe I shouldn't go down this rabbit hole, even though I'm like very open minded, I'm very skeptical too. And that you going into this path of healing, there's there's a dark side to those healing arts yes, as well, is. where they use it for power control. Uh, self development can turn into like an addiction mm-hmm. with self help. 
all those kind of things. And some of these teachers are uh, far more worse uh, psychologically, and they like make up for it by becoming a leader and and uh, uh, doing the uh, imposter syndrome, right? Absolutely. As you're talking about, so um, what were some of your experiences? as you are going through these different rabbit holes of healing? <laughs> oh. Well, you know, definitely in the yoga community, I've seen that as well. Um, mind you, there's this whole American yoga, which is a lot different from my understanding. I have not been to India, but from friends, a lot of friends of mine have visited and they say uh, the practice of yoga is, looks a lot different over in uh, India where it comes from. Um, and I've seen a lot of, uh, spiritual bypassing going on in the healing community. Um, a lot of coping with, uh, like we we're saying these words where people start to use languaging they've read through all these self-help books and they start to, you know, assimilate that knowledge. And I, and I respect where they're at and I've been there too, where I've sounded pretty woo woo out there. And I think it's all about this integration. So it's like, as I expose myself to different therapies, um, different cultural practices, it's been important for me to find what works in it and then integrate that in my life and not become something that I'm not. So it's like, stay real as I'm, and then have fun with myself, you know, because definitely don't want to take myself too seriously going on this healing path. Like humor is a hundred percent part of it. Right. And there's, that's probably like one of the red flags to look for when you start going into these cultures that are like borderline cult you know and it gets like too serious and like you know that the set intention and a prayer for like every action that they're doing and like you know be in the power of now like every moment and not leave any room for you know a future like imagination or uh, analyzing like the traumas of the past per se Mm -hmm. so um you know it's it's one of those things that i guess you have to with time and exposure and being around people that are actually questioning and like you said having fun uh you know because it just it gets a little bit like perverse at mm-hmm. times you know and, and that's the same thing with psychedelics so many benefits uh with that and other medicines and other practices but then it gets skewed by like these you know uh we were talking about like cultural ap- uh, appropriation right. right or like people of uh, certain uh racial ethnicities start to take on the uh practices in terms of even the way one dresses or mm-hmm. they'll they'll like like claim the real estate of that for example like having dreadlocks mm-hmm. right and it's like oh that's only like only black people are supposed to have dreadlocks you know mm-hmm. and then it's like no it's actually like dreadlocks been in the viking area right. era and then like in the india with the sadhus yep. you know and so it's not just exclusive to one race as with like sweat lodges like you were saying that a particular group was saying like we can't say sweat lodges anymore we have to call it purification and renewal ceremonies <laughs> and i almost laughed at this too it's like you know i appreciate when people come you know with big hearts and it's what's drawn to the healing arts is people i do feel that have great intentions and sometimes can be misguided at the same time yeah it gets a little like looney tunes you know where they're they're just overly pos- positive uh, my buddy and i we were in vancouver one time and we went to a raw food restaurant mm-hmm. 
And we get to the counter to order food, and the girl goes like, "How's your day?" And we're like, "Oh, our day is great. You know, we're just walking around Vancouver. We stop by a shop, ready to eat." And we're like, "How's your day?" And then she puts her two hands together in a like prayer、uh, gesture、uh-huh. and says, "It's blissful, right?" And she has a turban on, and she's a white chick. And she's like, "It's blissful, right?" And and I, I was like trying to like keep myself together and. Uh, fortunately, I didn't laugh out loud in front of her. But as soon as we got our food and started back on our walk, I said to my buddy, "Is like, how's your day today? Is it blissful?" And he just like he lost it, man. He was like in tears, just fell over the sidewalk, you know. And and so it's just one of those things. Is like you know we. Uh, can maybe tease each other. We can tease ourselves. There's a point where we get like,、uh, it's okay to be sensitive because that means you're aware of your surroundings. You're aware of your interactions with people. But at the same time, like you can't get like too serious about you know、uh, the way you dress. If you feel called to like wear your hat a certain way,、right. you know that's cool. You're expressing yourself. And、uh, to be able to,、um, I, uh, when a conversation we we're talking about was、um, the empowerment of women, right?、Mm-hmm. The ability to not walk around in fear that when、uh, a questionable、uh, male figure comes into their vicinity and and almost like pretty much threatens them, they could like look them direct in the eye and say no, and at least. Present that energy so that that person that's about to attack them or do harm to them could just second guess, like, oh no, I can't mess with that person. And sometimes that's all it takes is to be able to stand firm in your own presence and、right. look directly in the eye and say no. The way we would say, like you were saying, when you're you're a little. One、uh, my dog, yeah, dog. she acts out, and if I were to be real sweet, like no, no, my dog's name is Bunny, and it'd be like no Bunny, no she's Bunny, she's a pit bull, <laughs> she's a pit bull, and if I'm all sweet to her, she's gonna look at me like I'm playing a game, and she's gonna be dominant on me, and, and so, she's a pit bull that's rescued from Oakland, that's right, that just like basically was a boonie dog like cruising around, that's right. right, that's right. So if you just say no, but yeah, it's about being stepping into your own power, learning that we all have the ability to be dominant. We have the ability to be submissive, but exercising that power, especially when setting boundaries. So with my dog, when she does something out of line, I'm going to say no. And the same thing goes with any human being. I think it's important for all of us to be able to speak up, and especially for women.、Um, you know, I've seen a lot in women where they want to kind of pull away and go inside versus、uh, stepping out. And so I was like telling you about that. Interview I heard with a dominatrix who teaches women empowerment and teaches them it's only a matter of saying a couple words to speak up. Don't be afraid to challenge. Most people, when you challenge them, they they're all talk. They're all bark, no bite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in those spaces, there's like a safe word, right? When it gets like too kinky, <laughs> like what's your safe word? And and、uh, I think that came up in another podcast. I'm trying to remember so many that are happening now, but、um, you know. But yeah, your safe word is just like,、uh, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely not that. He's like, uh, uh, no, I think we should stop at that point, you know. Absolutely. But、um, yeah, so you're, you know, at a point now where you're, you know, back in civilian life. You work for like a cannabis company. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I've,、um, like I said, I was really attracted to cannabis. The cannabis industry, and so when I was in school, I began、uh, making hash, and this was all illicit and illegal.、Um, 
I love how open you Absolutely, are no, it was very much illegal. There was no permitting it. And even in the early days, there was it was dangerous what I was doing. And it took a long evolution and my own nerd inside of me to really geek out on the topic of uh, chemistry and botanical extractions. And so this passion of mine really stirred from something that started as a hobby. It was a way for me to make my own medicine, if you call it a medicine. It was also to get high. and And I think that's just okay, too. And so, yeah, yeah, that freedom, right? Like, yeah. why should the government like like regulate uh, someone's free will? You know, I can see in terms of safety, mm-hmm. you know, which a lot of us don't have the capacity to make mature decisions, you know, especially Absolutely. like younger ages, uh, any age really, but yeah. especially when we're younger. Absolutely. And I was really fortunate I didn't have any um, injuries or safety things in the beginning. And that hobby is it turned into a career. And so what what I was making for myself ended up being a, a product that people really wanted. And I actually became really good at it. And so this uh, passion of hash making turned into a job, which I was doing mostly on the black market, um, doing it uh, clandestine, working on properties, keeping bills not in my name, and, and learning how to be on the other side of the fence. So I went from being in the military to the enforcement side to being on the complete opposite side where now I'm you know, surrounded by people who are also doing illicit activities. And so mostly the cannabis and psychedelics, I I steered far away from any kind of hard drugs. Um, However, uh, it's definitely on the on the other side, and so well, it's a matter of perspective too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially and, as this culture is now changing, when they're realizing like what's the difference between like even pharmaceutical drugs that so many people are dying from. That's right. You know, painkillers to like alcohol and tobacco kill more people. You know, versus like cannabis and these psychedelic drugs. When I went to the VA, they put me on pharmaceutical medication when I was depressed. And they put me on. I think that. SSRI and an, and an antidepressant. I can't remember. I think one was Zoloft and one was another little little pill. And as much as that helped me out in the interim, I was going through a little bit of a crisis when, when I did get on the medication. And it did help stabilize me. But quickly I realized um, with the girlfriend at the time that it was cut me off from pleasure. And this was something I wasn't okay with. And I decided to quickly taper myself off the medication being from the medical field I knew how to do it and I tapered myself off and really pursued the uh, naturopathic route so just different herbal medications you know learning about you know um, how there's different herbs for traumatic brain injury there's different herbs for PTSD and not just um, you know these ones that get you high but there's so many other ones that have helped for anxiety relief and helped with balancing my biochemistry in my body and so that's kind of where I decided to take an alternative path that the mainstream medicine really wasn't giving me what I needed right which they had their role and their place when done properly and but unfortunately that's all they know that's right and so that's the only option that they give people versus you they, if they had the option of all these other natural ways or means that people could you know um, sort of uh uh, buffer their pain so to speak like what you were doing so you just basically took it in your own hand absolutely I, I let the psychologist at the time know what I was up to um, I told him where I was at and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to start working with uh, psychedelic medicines like ayahuasca and he was very supportive he was really supportive he told me I think you should do that 
Wow. And he said one one bit that was really insightful to me. He said, he asked me, he said, I want to have one question for you though. Are you going to be okay with the idea of being okay? And I understand that now is a lot of people have an identity to their trauma, an identity to their wounds, and that becomes who they are. I hear people, uh, vet, veterans, they have post-traumatic stress disorder. I myself have a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder from the military, but I also call it a normal reaction to stress. Absolutely. I mean, it's a traumatic time. This isn't a disorder. This is um, this is normal response. You know that your body's reaction, these symptoms are addressing an underlying need, and it's understanding what what need is it serving, how to uncover the trauma, and kind of get past it. And that's been some of these understandings that with myself that were huge. Um, and it was a big period where I was in denial and then, you know, wanted to not be identified with it. I, I, I definitely pushed away from it. I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then it took years for me to go, okay, I'm not hundred percent. And it took me the honesty. And once I was able to open up and talk about it, 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 I realized I'm not alone. Of course, there's yeah, support and I everywhere. See like a big sigh as you say it, right? Yeah. It's like a sigh of relief that you don't have to like hold this in anymore. It's That's like right. you can just be open about it yep. and like let go of that gorilla off your back. That's right. And and there's other veterans that are doing amazing work too. That it's, it's super inspiring. Uh, a friend of yours, Chris Albert, he has Warrior Soul Goji. He's very vocal about what he's going through, his own struggles. Um, Kalani Kreutzberg of Cami's Canines, another veteran-owned organization, same thing, open with the struggles. And for me, I see these as models for me to be open as well because I benefit from seeing their openness and vulnerability. And I know that word vulnerability, like, oh, gross. It's about being real with myself and the way that I communicate. So instead of hiding what's happening, I just talk about it. And I don't mean vulnerable as I'm going to be, uh, we'll all hold each other and rock each other. As I've been to definitely workshops like that. And there's yeah, amazing yeah, sweet kumbaya. things. Kumbaya. And, yeah. and it's healing. And at the same time, that's definitely not what I'm asking yeah, veterans yeah, to do yeah. is to be, you know, that kind of state, but absolutely rely on the people next to you. Um, so much I've learned from people like you and you've not served in combat, you know, and, and so everyone has lessons to share everyone can learn from everybody what was uh you know i just yeah there's so it's amazing like what we've been talking about so far um you know when you were now sort of stepping into the more of the underground world of of you know these illicit quote-unquote drugs you know what what was going on through your mind because you're talking about going into that whole rabbit hole like conspiracy theories right mm -hmm. like i've mm -hmm. certainly gone down that and it's just endless right? That's right and like speaking of like identity you know of realizing like like an alcoholic they they have this thing where like once an alcoholic always an alcoholic but the people that truly heal and integrate don't need to go to like aa even though it served this role you eventually like graduate from that right? right and so in your i guess search for other things outside of like your upbringing and like growing up in midwestern mm -hmm. the midwest and then going through the military and seeing that side of things and then going to hippie granolaville you know and seeing that side of things and then going into the the underworld mm -hmm. you know and seeing that kind of thing like um to me I, in my own experience i've seen like all the upsides like the like gold nuggets as i said earlier about these things and then i saw the downsides of this so you know at what point did you realize that like east 
thing had its role and then it enabled you to like come out of a place of empowerment instead of being a victim uh, identifier. You know, I still, I'd say that's a process that I'm even still going through. It's about understanding. For me, it's been about this alignment. Um, I was definitely, the Mankind Project, the men's organization that I'm part of, works a lot with men to help realign them with their own mission and purpose in life. And I think through that work has been a pro, it's an ongoing process for myself to understand what I'm here for. And, and for me, tapping into that understanding of more of a spiritual understanding of what I'm here for, it, it definitely provides even more of a reason to wake up in the morning. Um, I know I've heard you say many times waking up in the morning and having the demons. And I know I definitely have my own demons in the morning as well. I want to keep me in my bed and keep me comfortable and keep me there. And at the same time, it's important for me to keep pushing forward and go through the motions, get up, work out. You know, I've been doing, uh, well, inspired through magic flow buses, um, through, through, uh, coaching from Chuck is the Wim Hof method and doing the ice water immersion has been an amazing way to almost like a pattern interrupt with this cold water shock to the body. Yeah. Chuck McGee was on a prior episode of hangry and horny yeah yeah so basically through magic flow bus and learning like the cold exposure and mm. the wim hof breathing like basically pattern interrupt you like straight in the morning like a lot of people are like hell no man i'm gonna take a warm shower you Absolutely. know but you found a way to like make that a, a process to like switch you out of the demonic possession in the morning <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and and all these things you know my i think my attraction to psychedelics um to things like the magic flow bus was these flow states so is, these are my some of my big experiences of course from the first time is being in combat and being in these high stress situations so you find yourself just acting not thinking being in the present moment I had these situations also occur through rock climbing and through riding a mountain bike downhill where you can't think and you just are in the flow and moving and just responding. Um, these flow states is just that I've been attracted to them and at the same time realizing like this is how you bring the integration into your life. Like get out of your own way, allow yourself just just be be in the world and show up. And, and that's definitely how flow has been showing up for me in many ways. Yeah, it's just uh, having the courage to go inside and look at your demons, your monsters, and and then uh, own up to them. You used all these different tools to help heal. Um, and then, you know, you're having fun, you're finding like other activities, you find uh, meaning, like the spiritual base of like, like, why am I here? How did you get spared, you know, like multiple? Because mm -hmm. I know that's like another thing for uh, veterans is like combat guilt. That's know? right. Yeah. So you definitely have, uh, well, there's survivor's guilt that survivor's you hear about. Guilt. And there's also, so, you know, we talked earlier about there's PTSD, which is more of this physiological response to the body from stress. And there's also moral injuries that occur. And, and this is something I said, you know, I think being in a unique situation as a Navy corpsman and being a non-combatant, I served a different role in combat. I came back with my morality. I didn't do something that I regretted. Many people have. And moral injury shows them in so many different ways. But that's also something else that people are going through. And then you see a lot of suicide. Uh, 22 veterans commit suicide every single day. It's one and a half times the national average. Um, like currently, as we, we're, we're sitting here talking, uh, my friend Kalani is, uh, is humping 250 miles, 22 miles a day, and he's raising awareness for veterans and for his nonprofit that he's part of. And it, 
who lost losing more people after the war than during the war and it's just not okay yeah because that's the thing that i hear is that you go into this situation like serving your country and then you're put in a situation where you do something that you never thought you would do um like morally ethically that's just uh horrible you know and then feeling the guilt and shame that a human being including yourself is capable of doing some horrific act you know um like that i guess the sort of thing would come into i don't know how often this would have happened in like uh, in iraq or afghanistan um but you know like soldiers like raping uh women in the village yeah. like on the side like there, were there cases of that or that was just like you know, more in the past I, like i would i would say what was uh, more indicative of, of my experience was um our unit was uh part of the guard force for the abu Ghraib prison and so you definitely heard of a lot of um injustices happening with the treatment of uh, prisoners during the, oh yeah there and so there was definitely some of that and just it's not so black and white when you're in combat and being in the style of war that Iraq was, of course, it's reminiscent of Vietnam. It's not clear who the enemy is. The There is no front line. And you can't distinguish, like, who they are because everybody's looking the same. They all like, look like their... civilians. They all look like normal people on the streets. And so you don't yeah. know that that person has a bomb underneath their chest. You don't right. know that he has an AK-47 behind his back. And so you have a lot of these situations where... It's just not black and white, and like I said, uh, things happen. And they're in the language difference, so you're you're calling out to them like, "Put your hands up, da da da," and they're just freaking out, and they like make a certain move, and mm-hmm. then the soldier shoots them. That's right. Things right. like that happen. Yeah, things like that happen, and like you said, when I'm on deployment, I think not so much about what our government's idea and what the, how they're directing us. It's it's because you're in the combat. For me, I just think about the man next to me. And getting home, making sure everybody got home. Um, and yeah, like being witness of just some pretty horrific situations. Um, you know, my heart goes out to all the veterans, um, it, not just combat veterans. Um, I think being part of the institutionalization of the military industrial complex has its own um, uh, negative side effects as well, if you will, from yeah. coming out of that. Um, I've, I've been able to empathize a lot with prison inmates and finding similar stories, hearing from their experiences being in prison as people in the military, which is interesting. Um, uh, who's this again? I'm saying as I've had experiences talking to prison inmates, people that were oh, ex-prison yeah. inmates, and hearing their stories remind me a lot of my own stories that I experienced in the military. And so, and, and I know that prison inmates suffer from that institutionalization of the prison system and then their transfer out. They also struggle as well. Yeah, the transition part, yeah. right? Because uh, one is how long they've been in there and then they don't have the skills or there's there's new uh, technologies that replace like the need for workers. It's happening with, you know, all these self-checkout li- lines, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so in a sense, like the transition even mental health wise like to to have the support and then you're coming home to a country that doesn't 
understand fully like what's going on you guys go to protect our nation protect our values and then the media has a role in like spinning things mm-hmm. and then people watch the media um here's your friend that's doing an amazing thing like humping through uh northern cal to southern cal raising awareness helping like vets and like uh, with the dogs yeah he's helping so what he does is camis and canines um the man i met this uh is a former marine corps officer um kalani um, I met him through the Mankind Project. He was my sponsor um, during my New Warrior Training Adventure weekend, and so he was there as support as I went, as I touched a lot of the pain and anger that I had around my military experience and the pain that I experienced. He has an organization, so he himself was a homeless veteran for a short period of time, and so he is reaching out towards other homeless veterans to ensure that there's no homeless veterans. And so what they do is they actually have an animal sanctuary in Sandy, outside of San Diego, and they actually bring homeless veterans, and they lodge them, and they put them to work uh, making uh, dog toys, and this is how they're funding the nonprofit. So they make uh, collars, leashes, uh, chew toys out of military clothing, old mil- repurposed military clothing. And by giving these veterans a purpose, helping these dogs and helping this nonprofit, it's really helping them uh, feel safe and not be on the streets. And like I was saying, you know, suicide's huge. Um, and yeah, so he's he's working to like he's found his mission and he and he's putting that forth. And I think that's been one of the biggest things for me is this alignment to purpose and understanding what I'm here for. And honestly, I think this is outside of the military. Is I think all people in all general people, yeah, finding was, their own purpose, and their own unique expression in this in this experience yes. that we have. That's what I was going to bring up about like uh, mental health is a stigma and it's just basically all human beings, you know, and that there's the hardest places in life are like transitions, you know, like transition a death of a loved one, mm-hmm. transition after graduating out of school. There is uh, coming out of the military, coming yes. out of prison, uh, whatever it is that somebody's going through in life, you know, life is obviously uh, a lot of unknowns, you know, and so um what i wanted to bring up was like like it's so cool that more and more uh knowledge is coming out about people uh that are going through transitions and trying to find like their reasons for like actually existing on this planet and the crazy thing i also wanted to touch was like here's your friend kalani like raising awareness through this amazing hike Mm -hmm. and people along the way they're you know because they're like they got their american flag raised as they're like hiking or humping yeah humping yeah Yeah. and um you know there's people are saying like fuck america that's right you know and and it's like on one level i understand where those people are coming from because like our country isn't perfect no country is but in my travels around the world like holy shit are we like blessed to live in this country which has amazing values from like our founding fathers right and so you know it's like why are you like yelling at somebody that's doing something that's helping people in transition especially veterans right right. and helping like animals you know Mm -hmm. so it's it's rough because you know everybody's again taking on like a role that like something is not right understandable until you're like contrasted like well if you hate america why don't you try living in these other countries where you're not going to be able to have these same freedoms that's right that's right um i definitely um something pride of being in this country is something that's not lost um 
And, and just like you said, yes, we have, you know, I know people are upset that we have Trump as president. Um, I, it doesn't take away from me how amazing this country is and how, what it's done for me. I mean, this is where I've been born. This is where I was raised. You know, this is what feels like home for me. And, uh, you know, I love America for what, for, I guess, my own view of what I feel America is and my own experience. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy about it. I, I find that it's home. Yeah, there's something, there was a place, like, as I was growing up and being a rebel, because I was, like, mm-hmm. questioning everything, especially in my teenage years, uh, early 20s. I was just trying to understand, like, the military-industrial complex, the corporations, like, the raping of our planet, mm-hmm. right? Like, how are these things happening? Like, I went down to conspiracy theories, like, the, the, the bankers, like, how the treasury is not even part of the government, and um, 9-11 mm-hmm. uh, conspiracy. And, you know, personally having an uncle that uh, went down on a TWA 800 flight where my aunt was waiting for him on in Europe and the plane took off and eyewitness accounts said that a missile hit the plane. It didn't just blow up because of uh, engine failure. Right. So it's just like we don't know the answers to that and, and how. Like the JFK conspiracies, right? There, there's so many things that we can look at and like blame the government. And the way I'm seeing it now, these are like systems that are in place. They're not perfect, but um, there's like a momentum behind it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, can we uh, stop those things or can we as an individual uh, affect our immediate surroundings and have an uh, impact that way that ripples? And changes these these natures of these systems that um, capitalism isn't perfect, but it's it's probably way better than communism. You know, absolutely, it's, history has been evident of that. So, how can we make more responsible corporations that don't just rely on the bottom line bottom line to make decisions that are destroying our planet? Well, and I think understanding, you know, obviously it always starts at home and it starts with us. You know, you get if you're triggered by seeing Donald Trump, then you need to discover your own inner Donald Trump and understand you have a dark side and it's all a projection. Um, It definitely starts at home and uh, in your own community and and spreading your own positivity there and understanding, too, when people talk about corporations, you have spending power, you know, be conscious where you spend your money. Yeah, exactly. Live your life. Like yep. experience life, man. Like, don't get so caught up in all the bullshit. It's like, it's just bullshit. It's yeah, just chatter. It's right. Like, let it go. And the the self righteousness, which I've been like guilty of, right? Because it's so easy to point fingers and blame everything, and be a victim. But you know, like even with like spiritual bypassing, you know, like oh, I'm just gonna like ignore this and just go within and meditate, and it's gonna be peaceful. And like I'll step out in the world, and like everything's just peaceful. And it's like no, like somebody's getting raped down an alleyway. Mm-hmm. Like you need to fucking do something about right. it. Right. And so some people are like, oh, it's not part of my karma. You know, I'll let them uh, interface and, you know, just keep going. You know, it's just like, what are you fucking like ridiculous? Like, that's yeah. just like wearing blinders. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me either. No, absolutely. It's like about integration and, and really like living life and and, and um, exposing yourself to uncomfortable situations, exposing yourself to to people that challenge your beliefs. It's one of the biggest ways that I've grown. I mean, coming from Kansas, being a conservative, Republican, Christian, Bible club president, to 
on the uh, black market <laughs> and, yeah. and on a very liberal progressive side of the world. And so it's like definitely being on two different sides and it's made me a better person for it. Right. Every time. You're not ashamed to talk about these things because, you know, a lot of times like in the media, they'll like attack a political candidate because of their past. And it's like maybe that person because of their experiences and like they're, they're realizing like, hey, I learned from this and this is like what not to do, like versus like getting it theoretically or like spoon fed to them, like that this is right or wrong. Right. Like they're probably more qualified than people that are just like living off of like some uh, thousand year old text per se, you know, it's yeah, like that's, that's super open to questioning. And so you know, the ability for us to like go inside and really like be honest, like, mm -hmm. and take inventory of like both the light and the dark and then, you know, make yourself improve and get better and bring that best part of yourself out of the world. Mm -hmm. The ability for us to even stay here, because, you know, I like, I like all these new terms, but some may consider this like an echo chamber you know mm -hmm. we're basically agreeing with each other you know maybe we should talk about something that we disagree on <laughs> definitely find that i feel we can have synergy and disagree on things as well absolutely yeah. um what do you have any disagreements yeah uh, not once <laughs> <laughs> so we'll dive in if we want to yeah, dive in yeah yeah well I mean, no, I mean like, absolutely and, and I think especially Northern California is, can be an echo chamber I mean you hear like people like uh, Jordan Peterson are speaking all about the uh, social justice warriors and this yeah. whole movement that's happening and you see that happening here in the Bay Area the culture especially with uh, gender uh, right. uh, what they're calling gender lucidity mm -hmm. um, you know you may be genetically uh, a male or a female, but you can uh, essentially identify as a different gender mm -hmm. or create a, a, a your own gender. Uh, you know, yeah. So that that gets a little bit uh, wonky there, because like, how do you address somebody without them getting offended? Well, that's a major linguistic challenge. To expect people to change their entire vocabulary, it seems like you're not being very flexible maybe to the rest of the world slightly and also to provide sensitivity around that as well i mean absolutely if someone ever asked me to call them whatever i mean i live in northern california you got people a lot of burning man crowd and people everyone's got their own new name and everything i'm all about calling them you know moon child or whatever it is hey uh, tony flo real yeah, man exactly, my man. real name <laughs> <laughs> no i mean so i'm all about that absolutely yeah. um but, of course, I wouldn't want to force anything on anyone either. Yeah. So, I mean, if they do say, can you uh, address me as this? You're like, sure, no problem. But to make it, and that was Jordan Peterson's point, which Canada actually made it a law that you have to address people by their, uh, you know, their pronoun that they choose or else like what you're gonna like get a ticket or right. like you have to pay a fine or go to jail or something right. it's like um it should be someone's free right to to be able to address somebody like respectfully you know if this is what there's like these new ones as far as i know like zur or zim and then there there's like a whole i guess it's infinite I think, you know, if you want to make friends in this world, you give people, you know, what they ask and, and show people respect. I mean, that's definitely a way to make friends. Of course, if you don't want to be their friend, you don't want to say it, it probably the conversation won't go much further. And, right. And I guess that's that in context. And, and you have every right to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah.
Totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's an interesting time in the world for sure. Um, you know, what what are some of your uh, interests now? I had a chance, for example, in the cannabis uh, facility that you work at That's to right. see like the development of this stuff and the, the use of science. Uh, to create um, these products, right, that are very, like, therapeutic for people. And uh, and it's it's amazing to see, like, the type of uh, states that can be modulated, uh, like, engineered. Like, whatever somebody wants to experience, it could take a particular THC, uh, CBD, and then there's, like, terpenes and all these other That's right. type of things that uh, people can take for a specific experience that's right no it's absolutely um i have a really amazing front row seat to what's going on in the cannabis industry right now so the company i'm with um the name is delta separations they manufacture and design um stainless steel process equipment for cannabis and this is for extracting the uh medicinal oils off the plant and purifying and this like you said they do things like vape pens and and topicals this is also part of the cbd and the hemp movement as well so i have a front row seat to literally this movement that's happening worldwide so right now this same experience is happening in the united states is happening everywhere um in october canada uh, does their final vote and it's going to open up for foreign trade and this is going to change the north atlantic trade agreement now that cannabis is going to be on the world market and this is not just the thc the aspect that gets you high but cbd and of course there's food and all this and textiles and building materials that come from this as well and it's you're seeing this the which know, like the sorry to interrupt the yeah. uh, founding fathers grew hemp for a rope and for clothing we and did during paper. world war ii the government gave subsidies for hemp, wow. hemp during world war ii and so it, it it's been in our culture for a long time. The the cannabis plant in many different ways has shown up in, in history for thousands of years. And so it's great that this is coming back on board. It's becoming legal. I mean, it's providing jobs worldwide. It's considered might be one of the most profitable cash crops of all time. And, and there's so many useful purposes That's for right. it, right? Absolutely. Uh, from pain to uh, state changes right. to like equipment. Well, to as building somebody with, for, that has PTSD, CBD has been an amazing uh, tool for me to help not only uh, reduce inflammation, uh, but provides anti-anxiety effects. Without side effects. Without psycho, like with the psychotropic effects. And so, you know, CBD has been amazing. It's helping kids with epilepsy and seizures, you know, it's helping autism and it's helping a lot of different um, spectrums by nourishing the endocannabinoid system, you know, our own endogenous system. We have the ability to process and utilize and we have different CB1 and CBD2 receptors. You have them in the brain, you have them in the body. So this is like an argument for... Uh, we naturally evolved with these receptors, so they're the reason they're there. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so CBD is that amazing one that actually is re- helping the body's own ability to create um, cannabinoids versus, you know, taking away from it like THC is known to. And so it's just an amazing doorway that this is now kind of opening up for people. And it's a great to be on the forefront of this industry. Um, and at the same time, I find myself too, you know, attracted to things like the Magic Flow Bus and attracted to modalities that I've gone through of neurolinguistic programming and nonviolent communication and learning ways to interact and help people. Um, and that's definitely where my passion is, is driving me towards is ways to connect with people. Um, having conversations like this for me are very fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool because, uh, again, like, I think people are craving a connection because of uh, smartphones and mm-hmm. the internet. It brought 
connection worldwide, but there was still like that the screen that's in between. And so, you know, some people are spending all day in their house, locked up in their room in front of their computer, right. and they're getting the same like endogenous uh, chemical releases that are similar to interacting with a human face to face but you know we all know that there's a difference between having like real love making sex to like masturbating to porno per se like there's yeah, totally. there's a, a huge like difference it's and like so, it can be fun by yourself sure it can be satisfying however nothing beats having another person there yeah right the <laughs> shared shared experience that uh was why the magic flow bus in some ways was created because mm-hmm. there's a lot of this you know instant gratification getting information but not being able to integrate that information and like actualize it so uh it became another addiction and i was like whoever thought that the drug dealer would be in a technology that we hold in our hand right right Right. like how crazy is that you know and and so you know they learn like whether it's advertising marketing they know what triggers to hit the dopamine response in the brain like Mm -hmm. to get that same effect and enable you to just keep consuming and consuming and and to finally realize like holy shit man i think a lot of people are realizing like just it's fun i don't want you to take my phone away like it's super cool but i can actually like unplug from it as well and have these like conversations you know Mm -hmm. and and fun days of like flow on the magic flow bus where we're going in an ice bath we're doing saunas we're eating good food together on a table where like that was just like part of the values of cultures around the world people got together and ate together right right. and it was like you talked about your day you talked about like what you're gonna like what you dream about you talk about like some of your problems you're going through and then everybody was there to just kind of like chime in and Mm-hmm. And then, then there was like these hardcore discussions that yeah. like the Greeks were really good at with philosophy, right? right. Like what is the uh, type of philosophy that, you know, there's, there's so many different ones that Jordan Peterson talks about from like the religious angle, from the, like the atheist angle, from like the scientist angle, mm-hmm. you know, from like a yogi's angle. There's so well, many. I found out the Magic Flow Bus, you had that diverse uh, perspectives. I mean, honestly, your, your events, and I've gone to two of them so far, have attracted some amazing high vibrational people. I mean, Having hey man, what's up with that word, dude? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That, that's that your granola side, right? That's my granola side, yeah. man. That's my hippie side. Honestly, amazing people who have so many different skills and lessons that I've learned from neuroscientists to doctors to breathwork coaches to spiritual teachers. Uh, I mean, amazing. Yeah, big wave surfer. Big wave surfer. Oh, man. That right? was an amazing getting to hang out with Sean and hearing his experience. Yeah, you have a, a, a medical doctor trained in uh, psychedelics and uh, healing the brain. You know, right. you have a doctor of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. It's like another tool for, mm-hmm. you know, healing, but also like altering your state, you know. So there's all these different experts as well as like a police officer or, you know, right. a, a veteran soldier. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it is. It's that was my goal is to, to bring people all different diverse uh, places in life you know, that they chose to uh, interact with and how we can all learn from each other's experiences. So, 
Yeah, it's an amazing environment, and, and being around those people opened my eyes to so many different possibilities, and honestly, feel like fuel. When I left there, I had a, obviously amazing dopamine rushes from archery hitting the target to walking on the slack line, but even more important was all the oxytocin from all the hugs and all the love that was passed around, and that was where I felt that sense of community, a sense of belonging. And a sense of fun. Yeah, you. That's a great point because we're craving uh, physical contact, and I think a lot of uh, mental issues are probably coming from a lack of physical contact, and it's taboo about uh, like sex, and, and you know, at least in North America or like sort of uh, like Protestant Catholic. Uh, Christian-based religions, mm-hmm. um, you know, every place is different, but, you know, some places are more liberal than others. Some places are, like, too liberal or, like, people are, like, cuddling parties and, you know, like, that's cool, like, but that's also kind of, like, maybe that, where's your boundary on that? But, you know, just simple, like, eye contact, like, saying hi on the street, which is, like, really refreshing when I go to other countries, just came back from Ireland, and I just felt like, I felt like people were actually there. They weren't, like, consumed by their phone. They weren't consumed by whatever was going on in their life. They were actually aware of their surroundings. They were aware of their human beings. So to have an interaction, like, in the street where it's, like, somebody's head wasn't down or they were, like, in fear, um, you know, I felt like I could if I wanted to just, like, high-five them or shake their hand. And whereas, like, maybe in California, it's, like, a different culture where, no one knows their neighbors, mm-hmm. you know? So this oxytocin release is like huge, man. The ability for people to uh, connect uh, physically uh, without having to be like sexual, you know? And then this whole thing that got perverse between like men and women per se, you know, it's like women and rightfully so are now stepping into their power uh, after being uh, maybe suppressed, repressed over a long time, and now, um, but maybe gain the taste of power and like are now like sort of dominating, mm-hmm. like in terms of like the feminist movement, mm-hmm. where it's like the perverse part of it. Mm-hmm. And then men on the other center, you know, used to be like alpha, are now like, you know, submissive Mm -hmm. and not really like expressing their manhood or if they like like to wrestle and get physical or like to get in fights or like being uh sort of told that that's wrong or bad like at least from when i like as a kid like i wanted to do that and it was like i was like aggressive and i didn't really have that outlet until i started to play sports especially ice hockey where it was like extremely violent and i got a chance to like get that aggression out but to have a proper place to do it you know and i think that violence would go down you know maybe more babies would be made but you know it's just like uh all this education that like magic flow best is, is trying to bring out what um we wish we were taught like including sex education like how to use protection like how to not have like babies you know like have the like, safer sex talk safer right? sex when was the last talk. time you were tested you know yeah. what do you like what do you not like right it's like how do we have this conversation um one of the principles under nonviolent communication which was really profound for me was the notion of everybody is selfful and, and what that means is everybody's has needs and everybody's out looking to get their needs met 
And so the quick, quick, the quickly, if we get to the notion of where we can actually communicate, what are your needs that you want to get met, and what are mine, we can work together and collaborate to help each other's needs get met. And that was a really important thing for me to understand. You know, with in terms of interacting with people, is understand people have an emotion, but that emotion's coming from a need that's not being met or is being met. Sorry, that's where the emotion comes from. And then recognizing, all right, what's the need? And now how can I make a request or an action to fulfill that need? It's like completing the circuit. And very uh, transparent without having to use like manipulation tactics, which I see all the time with, you know, sort of uh what do you call those guys the pickup artists yeah you know right. or just advertising marketing or sales it, mm-hmm. it drives me nuts because you know after a certain time of, of being manipulated you kind of see the tricks you know and uh to be able to educate kids on like what these forces are and how to like see the red flags you know they're not necessarily good or bad it's just that some people have certain paradigms you know and it comes from insecurity like a lot of industry is made out of insecurities like maybe we could create a new world where you know people are are now buying or choosing out of like empowerment versus feeling insecure that they're lacking something and they need that product or they need that person or that house or that money you know it's like there's nothing wrong with like being industrial and like uh you know wanting to uh, make money per se it's just the there's a certain quality that I'm noticing now that if somebody comes from a place of security, that's actually super attractive. Like you don't have to like, you know, push people's dopamine buttons or mm-hmm. their, their, the way it triggers in the brain to get them to do what you want them to do based on your selfish needs. Yeah. It's almost like the, the notion of positive psychology, identifying the good versus the bad. Um, yeah. And, and it's, yeah, they're playing on people's, insecurities is a tough one you know i'm in sales now and i despise sales most of my life as i've had so many of those you know cold calls that come to the house or weird manipulation tactics and it's been a great opportunity for me to just empathize with the people that you're wanting to exchange goods and services with and being very clear about that and i think it can show up in, in every aspect of life even with your friends it's like understanding this there is transactions that happen as well um but also at the same time connection really supersedes the transaction yeah exactly and so like again magic flow bus you know it's like i'm like pitching my own company but essentially it was that was born out of frustration is to create a world that wasn't utopia i mean we're talking about some real stuff that people encounter in life and here are the tools that are very effective. These are the upsides. These are the downsides. These are the people that are experts in this. You know, here's the environment that all these um, triggers are created in a, a symphony, you know, that puts you in a state of flow that you can go, holy shit, man, I feel like myself. I can be myself. Time just goes timeless. And at the end, back end of it, it's like, like, holy shit, man, can we live in a world like that? And it's it's rough coming off a back end of any kind of retreat or a seminar because you do feel amazing. You're around people that uh, have the same sort of uh, vision for life. And the hardest part is like growing corn afterwards, as I've been told, 
is a Hopi saying that I learned from the Flow Genome Project. And it's like taking that information and now integrating it into this, this world that we live in and, you know, being able to be that example uh, of contrast that people go, holy shit, man, like, I want to live like that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's super fun. You know, that person, like, it's just being themselves. And it's like, there's, there's this great feeling to be liberated that way, you know, and, and we use all the fucking tools, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I really appreciate uh, your perspective on that, you know? No, absolutely. Um, I feel really blessed. Um, and I, it's always inspiring for me when people come up to me and they ask, how, how are you able to smile like you do and, and have this positive energy when you've gone through such horrific things? And, and it's a great opener for me then and dive in and ask questions about them. Um, for me, I've learned I separated this link I used to have between intimacy and sexuality and was able to separate that. And I realized now that intimacy is allowing someone to see into you for who you are. And that exchange back and forth is intimacy. It has nothing to do with sex. I uh, thought about the, you know, um, the love guru with Mike Myers. <laughs> intimacy, I see. Into yep. me, I see. That's right. Yeah, intimacy, yeah. So the difference between that and sexual sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so what was the distinction as we wrap up? What was the difference that you saw between those two uh, words? Well, I think understanding the separation of needs and understanding yes there's needs for sexuality and then there's separate needs for intimacy and I can get those needs for intimacy met not through a woman not through a lover but I can be met through my brothers and through my sisters and having those uh, moments of connection is satisfying my needs that I have uh, for connection for community um, friendship friendship yeah honesty and so he said brothers and sisters some people might take that the wrong way (laughs) absolutely no just uh people in my community Yeah. yeah yeah that's cool and so as we wrap up you know any final thoughts on what we covered um how can people find out more about you yeah, so um, I, on Instagram, I Nate Rad. I just post uh, my own personal stuff. I know no nothing else other than just for fun, and it's a great way for me to connect with other people. And I love doing tags and shout outs to my friends. It's always like a feels like a good game to me. Um, no, I just ask people to pay attention to what makes them happy and you know what's exciting and go after it and live life and um every day is always a new experience for me um there's so much joy to be had man and and i'm just super happy to connect with people like you to be honest dude you're really rad you're a super cool human being you're not wrapped up in dogma you know you're you're just real unapologetic you and um you know, I appreciate the, you know, example that you're giving people, man, and giving myself. So thank you very much. Nate, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you sharing your story, being so open, um, vulnerable, powerful, and an example for others that this is possible for healing and to, to not be stuck in uh, identity mm-hmm. uh, of being a victim, like to honor that time in their lives like you did, and then to be able to transform and move forth in the way that you want to live from here on out you know so uh thank you so much brother for coming on to hangry and horny and getting hangry and horny so everybody listening thanks for listening and tuning in and uh, stay hangry stay horny and uh nate thanks so much for coming on brother anytime man 
Wow. Again, that was so awesome. Thank you, Nathan Radiball, Nate, for being so transparent and sharing your story of healing and adversity and what it takes to, you know, transition out of that crazy world of war and, you know, find peace and be able to be the kind of human being that you are. So, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on to Hangry and Horny. I want to also thank my sponsor of this show, dropinfbomb.com. If you guys are interested on eating some delicious nut butters, go to dropinfbomb.com. Use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and I'll get you 20% off of these amazing nut butters. They're macadamia-based. They have pecan. They have salted chocolate. They have one with coconut oil and one with sea salt. They also carry premium oils like avocado oil, olive oil, and MCT oil. So for those of you that want to get more healthy fats into your diet and have a packet that you can travel and eat and snack on the go or just even a light meal, go to fatbomb.com and use that promo code FLOWREAL. Thank you everybody for listening. I appreciate your support and love. Go out there, be awesome, be kind, be your best and stay hungry, stay horny and see you guys on the next episode of this show. Mwah!